Hey buds, welcome to another frightening episode of the Good Buds Ghostcast, where I dig up fresh stories from all over the interweb to freak you all out. Today's story is Ellie Bakerfield disappeared 30 years ago today by user sleepyhollow underscore 101, which I found on the Reddit sub No Sleep. You can check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash r-o-n-a-v-a-s-e-l-a-a-r. There will be a link in the description so you can check out what they're up to. Today's story will have a special guest narrator in the form of my amazing co-host from the Good Buds podcast and fellow spoop hunter, Curtis. Hey buds, glad to be here. So before Curtis begins telling this tale, I would like to remind you to like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with all of your friends who like scary stuff and burning nugs. Now we'll light the ceremonial incense, if you know what I mean. When I was six years old, a little girl of the same age went missing in my hometown, Ellie Bakerfield. She lived a few streets down. It happened one night in early summer. She was just snatched right from her bed. There was no sign of forced entry at the house. The perimeter alarm hadn't gone off or anything. The only evidence that anything was amiss was a house plant in the hallway outside her room that had been knocked over on its side. Her parents found her empty bed in the morning and called the police immediately. It's a relatively small town, about 20,000 people. Bad things happen here sometimes, sure, but nothing like this. Nothing like a little girl just vanishing without a trace. Everyone was shocked. How could something like this happen here? Furthermore, who could be responsible? My parents were particularly upset. They were friends with the Bakerfields. My dad was a repairman, and he was the guy they always called when they needed work done around the house. My mom played bridge with Miss Bakerfield on Sundays. Ellie and I would play together, too, though I don't remember her much just vague impressions that have grown duller with time. The first few days after her disappearance were rough. There were no obvious suspects, no creepy uncles, no weird family friends, no registered sex offenders in the vicinity. The police of course questioned the family and everyone close to them, but they had no leads. My parents were very supportive during that time. I remember staying with my grandma more often because dad was helping organize search parties and mom was cooking for the family. Eventually, mom brought me to grandma's and we stayed there for a few weeks. Grandma lived about 40 miles away in a neighboring town. We'd been planning on staying there for a while anyway, since we were renovating our house at the time. We'd finished with our downstairs, but now dad was working on the upstairs which meant we couldn't sleep in our bedrooms. Mom decided we would make the trip early and Dad would stay behind to keep helping the Bakerfields look for Ellie and to get some work done on the house. They really thought they'd find her. My parents were convinced that she was alive and well, probably somewhere in town. They just had to track her down is all. But days went by and then those days became weeks and soon after it was months. After some time, the police's suspicions shifted to the family. The Bakerfields were brought in for questioning, and Miss Bakerfield was interrogated for six hours. That was even worse. This poor family that had lost their only daughter was under suspicion of her murder. Because that's what it was at this point. Murder. Everyone thought it, 
even if nobody said it. Everyone was sure by this point that she was dead, and that soon they'd find her body. Well, they never did find her body, and the Bakerfields never were charged with murder. How could they be, with no evidence? The case grew cold, and people gradually began to resume living their lives. Mom and I moved back into the house. People started to look sideways at the Bakerfields, avoiding them, refusing to speak to them. Even so, they never left our town, and they never stopped looking for Ellie. It's been a long time since then. I'm in my thirties now, married with a little girl of my own, Eloise. I inherited the house after my mother passed away. My dad died a decade before she did. Even all these years later, I think of Ellie sometimes, and of her parents. Her father died by suicide about five years ago. He couldn't take the strain of waiting anymore. Her mother, though, wouldn't leave the house, not until Ellie was found. It's hard not to think of Ellie when I look at Eloise. I wonder what I would do if someone snatched my child up like that. I hate thinking about it. A few months ago, Roger and I decided we would do some renovations to the upstairs. We planned to give my childhood bedroom to Eloise, but since it's so small, we thought we'd knock out the wall separating it from the neighboring spare bedroom. Eloise loved the idea, of course. She'd made us promise that she could have unicorn wallpaper. Funny the things we think are important as children, isn't it? We started taking down the wall, and it wasn't very long into our project that we found something. Inside the wall, there was this sort of box. A wooden box that had no reason to be there. I'm not much of a construction expert myself, so I thought maybe it was nothing. But then I realized it wasn't even attached to the wall. It had just been... stuck there. Inside. My husband helped me take it out and put it on the ground. The lid of the box was nailed on. I pried the nails off while my husband stepped out into the hallway to answer a phone call. I opened the box, and there was this smell. Inside was the tarp. I reached in to grab it, and it felt damp. I lifted it out of the box and started to unravel it on the floor. As I did, the smell grew stronger until it was overpowering. Inside, there was... There wasn't much left. I screamed, and Roger came running in. When he saw what I'd found, he escorted me out of the room. Actually, he practically carried me out. I was a shrieking, panicking mess, and there was no way I could walk on my own. He was just barely able to prevent Eloise from running into the room to see what the fuss was about. We called the police, obviously, who retrieved the remains and blocked off the house. Roger took Eloise and me to stay at a hotel. I couldn't stop crying. Eloise asked me what was wrong. 
offered to give me her favorite Barbie if it would make me feel better. I just cried harder and hugged her, so tight that I thought I'd never be able to let go. The police were able to confirm Ellie's identity by her dental records. Ellie's mother was notified. I was at the police station when she arrived, having just given my statement to the officers. I heard her sobbing, these terrible cries. I've never heard anything like that. It was like 30 years of grief coming out all at once. I wondered if she'd still thought, somewhere deep inside, that Ellie might still be alive. A few days after her remains were positively identified, the police announced the case had been solved and released the name of her murderer. Miss Bakerfield died just two months afterwards. I think all this time, the only thing keeping her alive was Ellie. Now that she'd been found, she could move on, like a ghost that had been trapped on this earth for too long. As for me, my husband and I have decided to sell the house. We've been staying with friends while we try to decide whether or not to stay in town, if we should buy another house, where we should move if we do. Well, I guess it's more accurate to say that Roger's the one thinking about those things. I'm thinking about my father, about how he organized all the search parties, about the years he spent doing their repairs, becoming familiar with every inch of their house, and how he never once thought the Bakerfields were guilty, even when everyone else began to suspect. But most of all, I think of the years I spent sleeping in that bedroom, with her body not eight inches from my head. I'm really not sure what to say about that one. That was... It's absolutely a freaky thought how someone so loving to one person can be so brutal to another. Humans are the ultimate monster, am I right? Curtis, I want to thank you again for telling the story today. You did a fantastic job, man. No problem, man. It was definitely a scary one that I was happy to read. Thanks again to the author Sleepy Hollow 101 for letting me narrate this for the Ghost Cast, and I would like to remind all of you to check them out on Facebook at their link below. So that's it for today's episode, but before you go, remember to check out our main podcast, The Good Buds Podcast, where good buds smoke good buds and talk about them. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this with all of your friends who like spooky stuff, burning nugs, and wearing brown pants. Stay spoopy, buds. Stay spoopy, buds. <laughs>